Well, good morning, LLC. Happy New Year to you. 2021 is here. The 2020 has been quite difficult, as I'm sure for many of us. I was watching the news that was recapping all the things that happened in 2020. And it's strange to think that the Australian forest fires, the fire California, all the riots and uh, all, all the, the shootings that happened across North America uh, were all just last year, all packed into one year. And then of course, there's COVID that uh, took over the world uh, really, as it seems. And so I'm praying that 2021, uh, no matter what it holds, will be good for you, that you would see God uh, and know that he is, good and that he's gracious and that he's with you and that he only has uh, good things for you no matter what it is that we're experiencing. As we do every single year, we like to challenge our church and our congregation to live out one word. I'm not sure what it was for you last year uh, and whether it was difficult for you to live out that one word or not because I don't do very well with resolutions. Uh, I can't, it's hard enough for me to follow through with one. So, you know, give me 10 resolutions. It's almost like impossible for me. So I want to challenge you as well this year. What is that one word you want to live out? And for me, I'll share a little bit. I, for me, it, it is the word identity that I'm my, everything is going to be filtered through this word this year for me, that I'm going to live in according, accordance to the identity that God has given me and not what the world says, not even what I think I should be and what people tell me I should be, but according to how God has wired me, how God has made me. So that is my identity this year. And that's how I'm going to live and try to live uh, through the rest of this year. Uh, we're starting a new sermon series uh, today, and it is called Authentic, uh, Marks of a Biblical Community. And we want to start off this year with this series uh, to remind ourselves of what it means to be a church, uh, what it means to be a community, what does it mean to be an authentic a person, authentic, authentic person that God has created uh, us to be. And, and one of the, when I think of churches and I think of church buildings, uh, one of the most beautiful churches that I've visited, had opportunity and privilege to visit, uh, is the La Sagrada Familia, which maybe some of you have visited before. It's in Barcelona, Spain, and the architect is Antonio Gaudi. If you have an opportunity after COVID and we can travel again, I do recommend you go in to see uh, this masterpiece of, uh, of, of a building, of, our, of the architecture that, that, that it is. Uh, this church, when it's finished, uh, will, would have taken longer to build this church than it took to build the pyramids. And Gaudi knew that it was going to take a long time. So when he started the construction, when the construction started for this church, on the grounds actually was a school built as well for uh, the, the people, for the construction workers, that they would bring their kids to the school as they went to work. That's how long this project was uh, going to be. It's known as a UNESCO World Heritage Site today, and is actually no longer a cathedral because it got upgraded. A cathedral comes from the Latin word cathedra, which means the seat of the bishop, as this is a Roman Catholic church. Uh, so cathedra means seat of the bishop. Uh, the Pope actually promoted this from a cathedral to a basilica, I think of St. Peter's Basilica, so it's the highest ranking that a church building could could have. So uh, they were now ranked as a basilica because of a special spiritual uh, and architectural and significance uh, at the moment. So it, this construction was started in, in 1882 and it's being built to this day. And in five years time, it's finally gonna be complete, uh, completed after 144 years in 2026. And by then it's going to have something like 18 towers. 
and this is a picture of what it looks like inside, but it has 18 towers, uh, 12 of the towers representing the disciples, four of them representing the Gospels, one of them representing the Virgin Mary, and the tallest one right in the middle is to represent uh, Jesus Christ. And if you go inside, you see the beautiful stained glass, which represents the different facades, the different stories of the, the Bible uh, as depicted on, on the walls there. And as I mentioned, it would have taken 144 years to build this church, this church building. It would have, uh, Gaudi hasn't, he died a long, long time ago, and he hasn't even been, he, he wouldn't have seen his work completed. He's buried in, in the church uh, itself. But even though it's taken 144 years to build, my question is this, when is the church really completed though? When is the church really completed in its building process and its, its formation process? And you probably would have heard me said this before if you joined in our service, that the church is really made, made up of people and not just people, but also relationships that we have. And, and just like how the strength of a church building is on the foundation and on the strength of the connectivity between the stones, I believe the strength of a church uh, of the people, it's built, it's built upon the, the strength of the relationships uh, between us as the people and our foundation with, with Jesus. And as I mentioned, we're starting this series on called Authentic, the Marks of a Biblical Community. And we're going to grow in our understanding of how to be an authentic community, uh, not by what we do, or, 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 but, but more so of who we are and why we do what we do. And in order to do so, we're going to take eight weeks. It's not going to be as much uh, nearly enough, but we're going to try uh, uh, to, to go through it in eight weeks and we'll see how it goes. But in eight weeks, uh, we're going to study uh, some of the one another passages in scripture. And there's over one, 100 of them, but we're just going to choose eight of them. And, and uh, 47, did you know that 47 of the 100 actually had to do with speaking to the church specifically? If you call yourself a Christian, those are commands that God has given us uh, specifically. And how I'm going to do this, and I, we're going to split it into four different sections because the one another, the 100 passages of one another passages can be split into four. Uh, they, they, they talk about love, they talk about unity, they talk about servanthood, and also encouragement and edification. So we're going to spend two weeks on each of those categories, and we're going to move on from there. And hopefully God will grow our authenticity with each other and our love uh, for each other as well. And, and you, as I'm speaking now, you might be thinking, well, why is this series important at all? And I would want to say to you that without authenticity, then all we're really left with is living in accordance to what God hasn't made us to be, that we're not chasing our living under who God has created us to be, our true authentic self, but we're, we're being someone else. Uh, we're living in authenticity. And I'm not sure how you feel about that, but in authentic, uh, living in, in, in authenticity, uh, living according to who I'm not, that's just exhausting. Uh, that's just tiring. I've been there. I, I, have you ever been in those moments where you're in a group of people and you're setting and you, you, you feel like you have to fit in or you have to do something that you're not and just to, just to uh, be with the rest of the crowd? Like that's exhausting. Uh, that, that, that's tiring. And that's not what the church is meant to be. That's not what our relationships with each other is meant to be. Because ultimately, when we're not living in accordance to how God has made us and how he's wired us, how if we're not living in um, uh, according to uh, uh, being authentic to who we are, then we really miss out on, on who God has created us to be. And we're missing out on all the joy and the goodness and the, and the, and the grace that God has, has for us. 
but as I'm thinking about that and those moments of my life where maybe I'm not living to my true authentic self, what is the reasoning behind that? And if I'm thinking about myself, I, I think what it really comes down to when I'm living, what's the root of inauthenticity when I'm not living according to what God has created me to be. It's really that uh, he is in my identity, but I'm just trying to belong in that in that moment, uh, in that group of people. We, we want to belong. We want to fit in. We want to be known. But all those are just placed in the wrong things. Instead of God, it's placed in other things, uh, other items, other people uh, in this world. And the reason why we do what we do um, when we know we shouldn't be doing it, it's because there's that tension, right? We want to fit in and we know that's not us. And that's not how I talk. That's not how I walk. That's not how I act. But in that setting, I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm, I'm doing something else because I'm just trying to, to fit in. I'm wanting to belong. So the answer to being authentic isn't just to tell you to stop. Like stop doing that. Like that, that's not the answer telling myself just to stop acting that way. And I feel like a lot of times, maybe in church settings or how people view Christianity as a set of rules instead of a relationship, they see it's like you just shouldn't be doing this or shouldn't living in this way. Uh, but I don't think the answer lies in, 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 in that. I think the answer lies in knowing that you already belong. Uh, it lies in knowing who you belong to. It lies in knowing that who we have a relationship with, and namely God. Uh, namely Jesus and how he's giving us the spirit inside of us that we don't need to look, go around looking for belonging and, and to feel like people need to know us, but we already have that at the center of our being because of who God is. So the answer lies within knowing and experiencing how Jesus says you belong. Uh, Jesus says you're a love. Jesus says you are, you are enough. And because Jesus says I am enough, uh, then that, that's the strength that I have in, in the everyday. And I've been convicted of this uh, in pre preparing for this series and that without Jesus as a church, uh, we're really just a group of people uh, meeting together, uh, not any different than the YMCA or any different than the community uh, a center. In fact, the people that meet for squash at the community center probably have things more in common than we do at the church because they love squash and that's why they're there. But without Jesus as a church, we really are just a group of random people. And I don't know if you ever felt that way. I don't think the church is meant to be that. And, and when we visited uh, the cathedral, uh, the Basilica now um, in, in Barcelona, what was fascinating was there's got to be, I don't know how many tourists walking around, but right in the center was a worship service going on, which is the strangest thing I've ever seen. That there's a group of people having their, their service and thousands of people gathering around taking pictures of the people worshiping and also of the stained glass, that it was a strange sight uh, of what's going on. That, and I, I think for us that we don't want our church to be like that, not in the, the worshiping part, but I'm saying like, it's a place just for people to visit and to walk by and not to have a really relationship, just to gather and be like, well, that's nice. You know, look at that stained glass, look at that tower, look at whatever it is that they have. But we want our church to be known for being authentic and at the center of that authenticity has to be our relationship with Jesus, because without him, it really is a gathering of people, not like, not unlike a tourist just dropping into a church. So today we're going to see how we build up this authenticity. Really, the first thing I want to speak of in the series is Jesus's love for us, God's love for us, that we build up our authenticity with each other, relationship with one another, when we understand and really experience how Jesus has loved us. 
that receiving Jesus's love is the start of authenticity. And I want to go back to the very beginning, whether you've been Christian for 40, 50, 60 years, or you're coming into church for the very first time, I want to start off with this question is that, have we really received and have we really been living out of this love and having this understanding of Jesus's love for us? Because if it does, there's a natural, uh, there's a natural process to where that leads us. But we need to first receive Jesus's love. And that is the start of authenticity between us in the church. And naturally, when we read verses uh, like we do in John chapter 13, we, we think of we need to love others more. Like those, those are the action items, right? Like, Doug, tell me what the actions items are. Tell me what I need to do. Tell me uh, how I'm to go and love others. And that's not where we're going to, we're going to fight that urge this morning. And we're going to really sit on and understand God's love for us. Because if we understand that, we experience that, we, if we know that, if our soul cries that out, naturally we will live it out uh, in the world as well. Because as our love for God grows, as we understand our God's love for us, and as our love for God grows as well, our love for others and our authenticity and our relationship with others grow with it. And I'm thinking often, well, when I tell people to go and love others, it's really quite an impossible task if we haven't yet received Christ's love for us, if we haven't yet understood God's love. In the middle of the pandemic last year, I lined up to go into a superstore and just to buy some canned goods for us, for us to have some food. Uh, and it wasn't anything ridiculous. But after the lineup, after I went in, after I had my grocery cart, after I got to the till, I realized I forgot my wallet in the car. Well, in that moment, I can't give what I don't have. So I had to put the cart aside and I had to go back out and get the, get the wallet. And thankfully, they let me not line up and just come, come back in. But I think for many of us in the church and in our, our, in our in our Christian lives, we can't give what we don't have. If we haven't yet received God's love, we can't give God's love. Like we're asking for impossibility there. It doesn't work that way. We can't love each other and love people in the world as God has called us to if we haven't yet had that foundation set of understanding how much God loves us. So the two questions I really want for us to have at the forefront of our minds as we're going through this sermon are, are, are these. Firstly, do you really know how much God loves you? And don't answer yes or no right away. Just let that simmer and sit with you. Do you really know how much God loves you? And secondly, what would a community of people who know God's love really look like? So those are the two questions I, I want to have in the forefront of our minds as we're going through this passage here. John 13, 31 to 33 says, this and this the context of this is that Jesus in the beginning of John 13 just washes his disciples feet and we're going to get to that passage in in a few weeks and then after that he predicts his betrayal by speaking to Judas and knowing that Judas is going to betray him and and send him off to the officials and 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 step basically sell off his relationship with Jesus and yet Jesus still washes his feet and still loves him. And, and at the end of John, John 13, this is what we read here as his commandments to his disciples to love, love people. Verse 31, when he has gone, uh, he, that's Judas, has gone. Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I am going you cannot come. Okay, I'm not going to spend too much time on this passage because I want to spend the bulk of our time on verses 34 
and 35. But Jesus says that he will be glorified. Uh, that like how where he's going no one else can go and what is he talking about he's he's speaking and, and predicting and looking looking to the crucifixion and also his resurrection and that's that's true no, no one else can be crucified like him because he is god alone and no one can resurrect like him because he is god alone so he will be glorified at the end no matter what happens here and because of what jesus has come to do on earth which is to live a perfect life and to die that perfect death for humanity so that we can have a relationship. Uh, he's not going to be around forever and the disciples are going to be left on their own or so it seems. Even though Jesus isn't going to be there physically with them in human form, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm still going to be around and people will know you are my disciples. People will know uh, who I am. And we're going to get into that a little bit later. But John 13 onwards is known as the farewell discourse meaning it's nearing the end uh, of Jesus' ministry as he goes into uh, onto the cross and as he goes into his final ministry here on earth dying for for humanity and he leaves the disciples with the final command in this farewell discourse and it's right here found in 34 to 35 a new command i give you love one another as i have loved you so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And you, you would have heard this before that at the end of someone's life, that perhaps the last thing that they say is really one of the most important things, right? Like if you only had a few minutes left to live, say something that that is uh, that is needed and, 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 and people around you would need to hear it. Well, but Jesus tells his disciples that what's most important is that even though you can't go where I'm going, even though you're not going to see me anymore, people will still know that I'm Lord and that I'm God. Why? Because of the way that you love, because of the way that you have experienced my love. You see, LLC, even though the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus happened 2,000 years ago, People in our city, in our community, they still have the opportunity to know Jesus because of our experience with Jesus, because of the way that we've encountered Jesus. People will know how, because of the way you love one another, because of a relationship, because of the strength of the relationship we have within brothers and sisters in Christ. And the way you love each other shows the way that God shows how much God loves us. How much you love each other shows not how much you have loved uh, the way you love each other shows how much you have loved God and your relationship uh, with God and how much we love one another shows our true and deep understanding of who this God is. Because if, if we break down verse 34 to 35 here, if we follow Jesus's logic, what we really see is this, everyone will know we are his disciples. Well, how, if we love one another, well, why will we love one another? because we have experienced the way that God has loved us. So it all starts with understanding God's love, understanding and experiencing and knowing truly who this God is. So Jesus says here, a new command, I give you love one another. And my first question, as I'm sure the disciples were asking then, is how is this a new commandment? How is the command to love one another new? Because the disciples would have known their Bibles and they would have said, well, aren't you just quoting Leviticus and this, you know, we're to love our, our neighbors and we're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like, well, isn't that what it is? Like how is loving people a new uh, commandment? 
it's new to love one another isn't a new commandment per se, but it is new in a sense of new in experience. That's what the word is translated as. It's new in, in experience. And it's a fresh experience of this kind of love. It's a fresh take, a fresh look, a fresh understanding of this love. And what we see here is that Jesus's love is a new kind of love. It's not like anything else you have ever experienced ever. In, in a time and culture where it's all about being first and maybe trying out something for the first time and putting it up on the gram, you know what I'm saying? Like Jesus' love is like that. It's a one of a kind. No one else has ever experienced it. Even though there's thousands and millions of Christians, each and every single one of them and their experience with Jesus is unique. It's a new command. It's a fresh experience for that person. Like, and it's not compared to anything else. Everyone that has experienced God, that's a fresh experience a new experience I, I, I and that's why it's a new command because jesus love is a new kind of love and jesus is giving this command notice what is said in the passage there that jesus like this is a new command i give you i give it i, I get i give it to you jesus says i give you this this command it's something that i have to give to you this experience of love this this knowing of god's love it has to be given to you it can't be made up it can't be fabricated it can't be found in anything else we can't just go out there and, and get it ourselves we it can't be earned with degrees and accolades it it's not about trying harder or building up the relationship the best way that you can it can't be found in other people in other relationships it can't be created with more fun things in the world i don't know more icebreaker games in in, in the fellowship uh, it can't be made by having more sunday services or or more bible studies it can't be found vacationing and traveling around the world it can't be can't even be experienced as as are alluded to in very churchy things that we think of like we can't even be experienced in terms of more potlucks fellowship events life groups sunday services even why do i say that because none of those are bad in itself but if jesus isn't at the center of it if it's not about experiencing god it's not about experiencing jesus as love then all of that is void all of that is for nothing it's just like me as a tourist visiting la sagrada familia What I'm saying is that if we use anything else to substitute the relationship for Jesus, then it's always going to come up void. It's always going to come up empty because nothing can substitute Jesus. Nothing can come in place of Jesus. And because of the way that he is loved, because of how Jesus loves a new kind of love, this love can only be received from him. And it's only given by him. And it's only received by us when we encounter Jesus. And he is giving it freely. He is wanting you to have this relationship with him. He is wanting you to experience him today. And if we're living as if we never encountered Jesus, and maybe some of us are there, that we have encountered him a long time ago, but we kind of put him back in you know, back of our minds in our back pocket, and we've been living in accordance to our own strength and our own abilities, we have to come forward and confess that to him this morning. And maybe some of you haven't yet received Jesus and his love, and you don't know who he is, and and you're needing to make that first step in saying, Jesus, I, I need to experience your love because it is a new kind of love like no other, like I've never experienced anywhere else. Jesus is saying this only comes from being with him. This experience you're looking for of love and acceptance of belonging only comes from him. And are you willing to take that step forward again? Are you willing to abide 
boring the word that John uses in his gospel uh, uh, of connecting with Jesus, of, of, of being connected to the true vine of God? Are, are you willing to have that relationship with him? Because if you're not, then it's always going to fall short, this experience that you're looking for. It's always going to feel empty. You're going to be asking yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I going to church? Why am I doing what I'm doing at all? Uh, because at the end of the day, if Jesus isn't at the center, if he's not the foundation, if he's not the reason, it's going to be empty. And so he continues on saying, in the end of verse 34, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. As I have loved you, read that carefully, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. First off, we see here that Jesus has loved you. It's not a question. It's not, it's not something of speculation. He has loved. He has poured out himself. He has shown you how much he cares about you. But the question maybe some of us have this morning is, how has Jesus loved us exactly? And maybe for some of us, it's a reminder, but some of you, this might be new. Jesus' love isn't only new, but Jesus' love, it can't be compared to anything else in this world. It's one of a kind. Jesus' love is better than anything you are looking for in this world. Jesus' love is, is the best kind of love that there is. And maybe you would have heard this before, that biblically there's three kinds of love. Eros, meaning a physical kind of love, or phileo, meaning a brotherly friendship kind of love. And then there's agape, which you would have heard before, which is the sacrificial and unconditional kind of love, a love that gives up their own lives for someone else kind of love. That's the love that Jesus is talking about here, agape love. This new kind of love is agape love and not like any kind of love you can ever experience. If you think of the most loving person in the world right now, if you think of the most loving person you have a relationship in the world right now, whoever that is, is in your mind. Jesus' love for you is infinitely more, infinitely more than whatever you are experiencing here. No matter how good it is, no matter how precious it is, Jesus' love for you is infinitely more than what we are receiving here on earth by anything or anyone. Because this is the love that forgives sins. It's the love that's all about grace and mercy. It's the love that heals, a love that is unhurried. And it lingers and it sits at the well with you as you bear your soul out. It's a love that understands you. It's a love that is vulnerable and precious. It's a love that builds relationships. It's a love that knows no bounds and knows no limits. It's the love that gives rest for the tired and the weary soul. It's a love that gives up his home life for you. A love that sacrifices. And for those who have experienced this, and have truly received this, this gift and this relationship and this kind of love, we're to go and to live out the same and to do the same. It's often said that no one can get hit by a bus and look the same. As morbid as that looks, I don't think anyone can encounter God's love and look the same. The same as they did before receiving and encountering God's love. As Billy Graham says, God proved his love on the cross. And when Christ hung and bled and died, it was God saying to the world, I love you. And anyone that has received that cannot say they are the same as they were before receiving this love. There are some real actions and life changes and understanding of, of who we are and our worth after we encountered this kind of love from God. 
And for those who have experienced this love, you know that nothing else in the world compares to this. Nothing else in the world can ever compare to this kind of love that we know. And I'm reminded of Jesus' words uh, to, to Mary and Martha when he's at the tomb of Lazarus in John 11. He goes, if you remember the story in, in the Bible, he goes and visits Lazarus, but his sister Mary already says, Lord, like if, if you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus then asked, well, where have you laid the body? Let me go and see. And John eleven thirty five, the shortest passage in the Bible, we read that Jesus wept. But what happens in verse 36, after Jesus wept, the people there said, see how he loved him. See how he loved him. And church this morning, I want us to experience that. See how he loves you. See how he loves us. What, what made the, the people around that tomb say that that, 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 that that day? It was this outpouring of emotion from God in human form that they have never experienced before. That Jesus, who is 100% man, 100% God, weeping in full tears with a heart and a burden for humanity. In Jesus' tears, we get a glimpse of God's heart breaking for Lazarus. And Jesus' tears for you and for me, we get a glimpse of God's heart breaking for you. Lord's love, if you haven't experienced this kind of love from Christ, if you haven't experienced the resurrecting power of Jesus, know that Jesus is weeping over you. Jesus is weeping over you. We're not meant to live a life of death. We're not meant to live a life of not belonging and not knowing our worth, of not understanding God's unconditional love for us. God is telling you today that he knows you and that he cares for you and that he's always been there with you. Jesus is weeping over every broken life. He's weeping over every sin that we ever commit. Jesus is weeping over everyone and anyone who is tired and weary and doesn't know that he or she already belongs to the kingdom and that their worth is not found in whatever it is that you're looking for here on earth. He's weeping over you. Jesus is weeping over those who are living, but yet they're experiencing death every single day. And the moment they wake up to when they sleep, they're just dreading the next day. They're dreading being alive because Jesus is weeping because they wants you to know that there's just so much life for you if you would only hold on to him and understand who he is. And Jesus is weeping over anyone who doesn't know their worth ultimately know how precious they are. Jesus is weeping over those who don't know how much they're loved and how much they, how much you mean to God. How much does God love Lazarus? We got an answer there later on, verse 37 forward. God loved him enough to resurrect him. I believe that's the same message for us today if we understand God's love and we've truly experienced God's love. Ephesians 2, 45, 4 to 5, the apostle Paul says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And if we're honest with our own lives, it often feels like we are resurrected. And then there's things that knock us down and we go back into the grave. And then we experience Jesus and then we come back, we're resurrected again and come out of the tomb and then we go back into the grave. It's a back and forth. It feels like, of resurrection and death but we get affirmation from if we have this relationship with god that we are made alive already 
no matter what it is we're experiencing, no matter what we are encountering in this world, we know that we have life. And God is saying, don't listen to the lies of the world because Satan keeps wanting to tell you that you're dead, that you're, that you're worthless, that you have, no, you have no more hope. But don't hold on to that. Hold on to me and what I say and who I say you are. Because some of you have experienced God's love, but just like the church in Ephesus uh, in Revelations 2, you have forgotten your first love. He's saying today, remember how much I have loved you. Remember my love is new. Remember what my love is like nothing else. Remember how understanding my love is really the key in the way to the rest of, of, of life. That is really the foundational part. And I love what Charles Spurgeon says that no matter how many times we fall away, no matter how many mistakes we've made, no matter how far away we are from God, he says this, consider what you owe to his immutability, which is his unchangingness. No, you have changed a thousand times, but he has not changed once. No matter how many times you have fallen, how many times you walked away, God has not changed. His love remains the same as it did on day one for you and for me. It has not changed at all. So today, the only action I want you to focus on, the only action I want you to focus on is not so much of how much you're loving other people around, but I want you to focus on your relationship with Jesus, your own personal walk, your own personal walk with, with God. Have you truly experienced this love from God? Do you really know this word from, this, this truth from God? Or is everything that we just preached about, we've been talking about has been new to you? And it's been really foreign. Either way, God is there standing right beside you saying, you're loved and you're known. I'm not farther away than just you saying, yes, I want this relationship with you. Come into my life for the first time or come into my life again. God is patient. God is kind. He forgives the sins of a thousand generations. And God is there with you at this moment. But there's that warning for us here because before we're too quick to say yes, perhaps we need to pause because as I, if I think of a person that says yes too quickly, it's always Peter, it seems. Verse 36, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. So Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. So this morning, before we answer yes too quickly, let, let us reflect and let us know where are we really with God? Peter was quick to say yes. But this morning, let us be slow to answer and let us reflect really knowing where is our walk with God? Where is our stance with God? Because if we really understand God's love for us, what would our lives look like? What would our church look like? Let's pray. Father, this morning we come to you just acknowledging your love for us. Just acknowledging, God, that you love us and that your love is new and it's fresh and it doesn't compare to anything else in the world. So, Father, for us this morning that want to experience this love, God, we're saying we're yours once again. We're sorry of the ways that we try to live according to our own strength, chasing things that weren't really worthy, building our lives on a foundation that was faulty and shaky. 
And God, I pray, Lord, this morning that you would be in, of the cent- be in the center of our lives, that we would experience you, Jesus. I pray, Lord, for those, Lord, that desperately need you, God, this morning. I desperately need you, God, that I need this new experience from you, God. Not in a magical or hokey kind of way, but in a real way, a real kind of love, a love that was displayed for us on that cross. May we have an understanding from that. So Holy Spirit, give us hearts to understand that, that our love and our worth is on you and from you. And may we just know the depth of that love this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.